Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. And I just want to kind of anchor our thoughts at this point with you know, the great uh, blessings we've received uh, from the Word of God about worship uh, this week, uh, anchor, anchor it with the, you know, the question of how do we become leaders in biblical worship? Um, I think that leadership in worship is needed because of Christianity's crisis in character. It is a crisis because we have an absolute basis of truth, and yet so many today reject it, so that, so that we are KJVA and, and all alone. And, you know, we, uh, we uh, in evangelicalism and most of Baptisthood, they side with the scribes and the Pharisees today, uh, the scribes and, and the scholars of this day, and uh, they just don't have a faith-based view of the Bible, and, uh, you know, let me open a window on that word because a story comes down from the time when they first discovered oil in East Texas, and several dirt farmers uh, who had been extremely poor um, now are fabulously rich, and so there's this one family, and, uh, you know, they, they got all this wealth now, and she had never been to a beauty shop in her life, and so they go to the big city, and she goes into the beauty shop, and she sits down in the chair, and she tells the beautician, she says, I want the works. I mean, I want everything. I want the works done on me. And a beautician asks her the same thing. My barber, you know, asked me whenever I come in, hey, do you want a shampoo? And she, she stood up in her chair. She yelled loud enough for the whole, barber, for the whole beauty, uh, beauty shop to hear, man, I don't want shampoo, I want real poo. And I think, you know, I, I, I think we need to get beyond. Uh, we need to get rid of the sham. We need to get rid of the scam. We need to get rid of human opinions and ideas. We need to get rid of the poo and believe God's word on worship. I think we do a great job of majoring on accessories and adjuncts and all the accoutrements. Uh, and all those things may contribute to worship, but we fail to provide leadership in worship. A.W. Tozier says, The presence of God in our midst, bringing a sense of godly fear and holy reverence, is largely missing in the church today. Thus, much of what we call worship, God does not. And I think that is true as far as it goes, and I'm certainly not against godly fear or holy reverence as a general principle. It makes a good, you know, spiritual meme. Uh, but is that really true to the text in terms of what worship is? It sounds good, but is it worship biblically defined? And so the theme of worship dominates your entire Bible because God's goal is a kingdom, and a kingdom has to have subjects. And, uh, and if you are subjects in a monarchy, well, you're going to bow down to the king. And so in Genesis, humanity falls because Adam fails uh, in his, his, to worship God first. And in Revelation, it tells us one, one day all of human history is going to culminate in a kingdom of worship. And then after that, when that kingdom is delivered up to God, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, it will be because every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord in worship. Therefore, with worship, we face, I think, a crisis in leadership. So here's God who did not create you because he was lonely. He was self-sufficient because he self-exists. And so this is my thesis for, for this session. God is like the Word of God is, totally sufficient. And yet, and yet he wants lordship, fellowship, relationship out of you. Uh, this ear thing is like a fractal. Can you see that? It's, it's a fractal and uh, decreasing radius uh, turn and... Um, I always hate these type of microphones anyway, but uh, my ear is supposed to also be a fractal. 
according to Steve, but I'm, I'm not sure if I'm misformed, deformed, or, uh, or just can't find the clip. clip. Clip me, is the clip still on there for the, in the back? Thank you very much. So God wants your love. He wants your adoration. He wants uh, worship out of his entire creation. So I'm going to challenge you to do what few churches do today, and that is for us to become leaders in true biblical worship. So let's take the word, start with worship, and see what God gives us from there. I mean, I don't know how else to end. Let's just take the word, start with worship, and see what God gives us from here. And the first thing I have to admit is the missing ingredient in spiritual leadership is worship. Uh, if you find a failure, as, as you know, failures we have uh, talked about uh, uh, even over the last couple of days, moral or financial or whatever, the reason is because the lusts of the flesh were not resisted in the heart with that patience and temperance because of a defect in personal worship. So, uh, you know, we want to be spiritual leaders, and what's the first thing we do? We get our project planner out. Or we go to a high-powered seminar. We uh, sign up for a webinar online. But spiritual leadership begins with worship, and the corollary to that truth is that worship is not simply an event. It is a lifestyle. Therefore, without worship, you cannot have biblical leadership. Why does spiritual leadership start with worship? And I'm talking about spiritual leadership in the home as, as well as in the church, leadership in the marriage as well as on the job, leadership as a single as well as leadership as a student. So first, first, this is letter A, because the ultimate leader is God. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Let's start in Exodus chapter 20. Since the ultimate leader is God, since God demands your worship, you can never rise to a place of leadership without mastering the components of true worship. Now, I want to justify that with English Bible exegesis as we go along. But I'm just experiencing, uh, exegeting your experience right now as to the need. So second, spiritual leadership starts with worship because, it's letter B, you were made to worship. In Exodus 20, Moses dealing with a growing congregation. He's a man responsible for leading God's people as their shepherd. And Moses, as the leader, is told to be all over this. Verse, verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or uh, that is in earth beneath. And he goes on and goes down through verse 6 and says that if, if you will do that, I will show mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Don't put anything before God. They were saying, but look, we can't worship something we can't see. Okay, God gave you something you can see, an image that you are to worship. He gave you his son. And the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15, so worship ye him. Uh, both bow to him in worship, verse 5. Serve him in worship, verse 5. Keep his commandments, this first one, worship, verse 6. Because that shows you love him, verse 6. Because mercy, verse 6, will extend every generation, verse 5, who abandons their idols. But God created you and me for himself. If you turn to uh, Psalm 34, let's, uh, let's do a drive-by look at uh, Psalm 34 just for a second. When you take worship away, worship of God away, uh, uh, or you worship something other than God, then you shrivel up, and your iniquity in doing that shows up in your descendants because they see it in you. So your spiritual life dies because your spiritual authority dies. But too many times we see worship as a task to be accomplished when really worship is a person to be adored, a relationship to be cherished, and a lifestyle to be lived. 
The psalmist David says it this way, in one of those psalms that deals almost exclusively with the personal life of the saint, verse 1, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. You see that modeled by two men in the Bible, Old Testament, Job, New Testament, Paul, and, and, and what that means in practice, verse 1, is that his praise shall continually be in my mouth. And that's what worship includes. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you don't do this, then you shrink in stature and in fullness. And while that's not bad in every case, I mean, stop staring at your neighbor like that. Some of us, you know, could stand to go on a diet. But you also grow weak. And so as a believer, if you do go extended times without worship, you shrink, you grow weak. That'll be a disaster for your family. So here's your counseling tip from today's word. This is our first point for study. Most of the problems in your life today can be traced back to a shrinking spiritual strength because of lack of worship in the past. And I'm talking to the men So the husbands, the fathers, and the single young men who are in here right now about the missing ingredient in your leadership. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And you know what? Uh, Especially everybody under 30 ought to look up here at me right now. I will admit to you it is unfair. It is so unfair. It is unfair that you can do one thing right now in your life and ruin your entire life from here on out. And yet, you've got to make right choices continually in order to accrue the beneficial blessings of worship. It is so unfair. And, and yet, the leadership of our children and yours, the leadership of your cadre of co-workers, classmates, and, uh, uh, and co-associates is all at stake because the missing component to your strength is worship. Not that women don't need this truth, but men need to lead. Why is it that men need to lead? Because they are the ones God is going to hold accountable. So you can see how, what, how wicked that is. I don't mean that in a Massachusetts sense. When a woman runs her husband, or a woman runs her man, that's wicked. God's going to hold him accountable, and you're, you're doing that to him? So now Hebrews 13, 15 says, By Jesus, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So worship's not just a place to be. It's not just an event on Sunday. Because among other things, my sidewalk definition is this. Worship is an orientation of life, which God gives you at salvation. So God is seeking those who will worship him, John 4, 23. Angels worship him. Animals worship him. But God is seeking you. Who are you seeking, and what are you seeking them for? God is seeking people, men and women, who will decide in their life to follow the purpose for which God created them eternally, which is worshiping Him. God wants to see how many of His conscious creatures will voluntarily worship Him as an act of their will in expression of their love. How many of God's creation who have self-consciousness will worship like that part of his creation which operates by instinct alone? And it is eternal adoration of your king in two things, bowing and serving, bowing and serving. So let me take you our text, Exodus 24. What makes up worship, I wonder, in this practical way, uh, since this is the real missing ingredient to spiritual leadership, then what constitutes it? Well, this is the way of worship. How can we lead in worship? What makes worship worship? Uh, What is worship's content? And uh, so to answer that, I'm going to do a dip into the life of Moses, because in Exodus 24, God gives you complete components to worship. And, and, and therefore, this is how to lead. So for, first off, notice, if you will, number one, worship is your response to God's open invitation. Verse one, and he said unto Moses, come up. 
to the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye. So first, worship only exists at God's invitation. It's not because the preacher called you to worship. It's not because the choir gave a call to worship. God calls you personally to worship him. And this is our second point for study. When you do not worship, you turn God down. So when the first commandment says, no other gods before me, that means a failure to worship is you making him unimportant. Now listen, after you contemplate the cross, tell me where you get off turning God down. The Psalms are replete with a constant call to worship. Since God is a spirit, you must worship him in spirit. So if you walk in the spirit and you mind the spirit, then everywhere you look in life, you will see an invitation to meet with God. God call, you know, the boss calls you up and says, I want to meet you tomorrow, 9 a.m. Well, you're, you're out in the hallway, 8.45, waiting, combed hair, lipstick on. Well, maybe not all of you have lipstick on, but, but why? Because of who called. God bids you into his presence through every experience of your life. If you are walking in the Spirit, and if you refuse that offer, you're not minding the Spirit at all because you are putting something else before God. He bids us come personally. He bids us come as families. He bids us come congregationally, not to hear the preacher, not to listen to the choir, but to hear his word and worship him in truth. Turn to Psalm 66. What does worship include? God delineates four things. According to the word given to Moses, there in Exodus 20, it includes prostration, bow down. Uh, It includes submission, obey his words. It is all done in celebration, and it must lead to and include exertion, serve him first. That, in essence, is really the four goals of biblical discipleship. Goal number one, worship. You, you, you bend your neck, you bow. The, the, the word, goal number two, the word, submit to what he says. Goal number three, fellowship of believers, congregate and celebrate. Goal number four, functioning in ministry, exhort, exert yourself to serve. So Psalm 66, verse 4 says, All the earth shall worship thee, and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name Selah, which means these are instructions for after the second coming, which like so many other places are biblically and logically applied to the church in in this dispensation, as part of the multivalence of the Word of God, all the time the apostles are taking tri- tribulation, millennial truth, and applying it to the church. So we are come before the presence, His presence with thanksgiving, Psalm 95 2. You are to lift every voice and sing from earth and heaven ring. Let me hit you with my sidewalk definition of that. I think singing or what is called spiritual songs in Colossians 3.16, is simply God's truth put to music. We don't need to be Gregorian chanters. You need to wail as good as Willie. Why does the devil have all the joyful noise? And I understand some of you because you messed up. When you were young men, young women, you didn't overcome. And because of that, you know, you gave your heart to the wrong things when you were young, and you shut off your soul and let the devil have all the good music. And I know it's not the millennium yet, but that is the whole point as far as the doctrine of worship is concerned. You are to rejoice right now because it's a spirit thing. It is based on truth, and you have position and identity in Christ. So God is talking about bringing all of who you are to him, and God wants twin fiddles and steel guitar, and uh, God wants music to be both a motive of a mood and expressive of a mood, and in order to get that, it may include loud cymbals, apparently. God's talking about bringing all that you are to him because he is worthy, and because it will color your view of life with his truth. 
And you know, if your favorite football team can make you jump out of your seat on Sunday or Sunday night or Thursday night, you, you ought to be able to, you know, God ought to be able to pick you up out of your pew, pew, pew. As nobody has a greater God than we have, none of you have a greater thing happening in your life than, than Him, than Jesus. You know, I think, you know, if I were to just uh, illustrate that irrefutable idea, I think that if the prize patrol, not the Paw Patrol, I've got grandkids, if the prize patrol came in that back door right now, and they had a camera and a big fat check, as, you know, as big as, as, as Steve's whiteboard up here, and it was for $10 million, and they, your name was on it, and they came and, and videotaped you and gave it to you, I think we would hear you scream. I think we'd see you jump. I mean, you might even start crying. You'd get all excited, and yet nothing deserves our excitement before God does. Why? We express ourselves for one important purpose, to put God, God uber alles, God over everything, and worship Him. Who else do you know that can do what God can do? I mean, does anybody know another way maker? Another mountain mover? Another star hanger? So mumbling is not allowed in the mission of praise. Let me just open a, open a window on that word, because there was a boy one time, uh, he's down by his bed, he's saying his evening prayers. He says, Lord, I thank you for church today. I mean, the service was so good, I just wish you could have been there. Another time, young boy was praying for a bike for Christmas, and he was yelling at the top of his lungs, and you know, his parents came in the room and said, son, God is not hard of hearing. He said, yeah, but Grandma is. Okay, you'll get that on the way home. But my point is, mumbling is not allowed, and I think God sometimes doesn't want to show up because we forget the reality of who we're coming to. God bids you to come over 200 verses in the Bible, which say, sing unto the Lord. So here's our third point for study. We must put truth to spirit when we are invited to worship by raising up a mood of joy in the place that we're congregated. And it may start with burden. It may start with repentance, but it needs to end with rejoicing because that is part of defining what we are as a church, as the body of Christ. Does that mean joy about your circumstances? No. Does that mean joy because you got everything? everything you want. No. Does that mean joy because there are no problems in your life? No. But rejoicing is different than happiness. Joy is noble gladness. And joy is joy because you are bringing all of your mess and your brokenness to such a great God, and you're saying, God, I've come here to get your truth in my spirit. That is what heals me because you're so worthy you are so worth it you deserve my devotion you have invited me to bring my life and all of my stuff and all my brokenness to an unbreakable god now that is what constitutes spiritual leadership Get, uh, get uh, Joshua 5, your right hand, Deuteronomy 14, your left. So Deuteronomy 14, Joshua chapter 5. Spiritual leadership happens when you bring all of your breakdowns to the unbreakable God and you let your view of Him determine your view of yourself, your, uh, you, how you feel, your view of your life, and you're willing to take truth about Him and mold your mood about your circumstances based on that truth. Because joy is noble gladness. And uh, Joshua 5, 14 says, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Those are the same two key things right there in Exodus 20, bowing and serving. So 
one more moment you're shouting in celebration and serving, and the next one you're kneeling in humility, and one moment you're celebrating God by obeying what God says, and next moment you're prostrating yourself before his face. That's our fourth point for study. In the scriptures, bodily movement is used to conform your heart attitude and your spirit to truth. Now, I know you don't believe me. Just watch. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. And thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And I, you know, some people say tithing is depressing. Um, now, stop staring at your neighbor like that. Uh, you know, keep looking straight up here at me. They'll never know you were thinking about them. Uh, verse 23, And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. That's where you will eat the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, of thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. So Israel's festivals are called feasts for a reason, because three times a year, every Jewish man over 20 had to bring a tithe of his crops, of his flocks. You know what? He and his family got to eat that tithe at the temple and share it with the priests who were taking him to God and representing God to him. I mean, talk about grace under the law. Bring your tithe and then, oh, let's, you know, let's, let's eat over it. Let's, let's eat it. Uh, now, 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 let me blow your gasket because uh, I'm going to get in trouble right here. But it's kind of like John Lewis said, it's good trouble. This is good trouble. Verse 24, and if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it. Or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there. When the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Okay, so the, the place where God put his name turned out to be Jerusalem. Uh, but if you judged in yourself, there was too far to go with all of the flocks and the herds and the grain and the whatever, or it was too heavy to carry, however far you had to come. Well, then verse 25, thou shalt turn it into money and bind up the money in thine hand and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. But I know some of you, because you don't even tithe under grace, so you're still depressed by tithing, even though it funds your own ministry. And you find yourself being, yourself being the priest and bringing people before God and relating God to people by tithing, unless you're not. So God says, look, I'm going to make you happy about this. Verse 26, and thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine. Okay, here's, here's the good trouble. I'm going to get in trouble here. Or for strong drink. No angst, no ambiguity about that one. Or for whatsoever thy soul desireth, Chinese, Mexican. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice thou and thine household. That is how important it was to God that their emotions were right when they came before him in worship. He gave them every assistance necessary to put God uber alles, God over anything happening in their life. Now, now, I think that being boring is preaching sin. And I think that God thinks unrejoicing is worship sin. Because lack of rejoicing shows that you have something else before him. You used to hear tales of men who had to stop by the bar after work to get some liquid courage to enable them to go home to their wife. And God says, well, look, I don't care what you think about strong drink. If that is what you need to use at the temple to get you rejoicing when you come into my presence as your king, go for it. Now, fortunately, we are filled with the Spirit. And we don't have to imbibe of spirits to get that same effect today. But some of you act like you do. Stop looking at your neighbor that way. 
just to keep looking straight up here at me. They'll never know you were thinking about them. Say, all, all I can gather is you forgot what you're supposed to do uh, to lead in worship of the Lord. And these are the forgotten doctrines of the IFBs, the Independent Fundamental Baptists. So make sure the Lord hears your joyful noise because noise means you don't have to even be on key. Noise means you have no excuse for saying, well, I can't sing. Joyful worship has nothing to do with what's going right or wrong in your life. Worship getting the truth in your spirit, which you affirm, which you say amen to with emotional joy. That has to do with whether the things that are wrong or right in your life are in front of God or whether he is before them in your life. So God invites you to become one with the universe by praising him. I mean, God wants us in harmony with nature by praising him and focusing on him. And God wants us to become spiritual leaders through worship, which is why it's an invitation, not a command. Uh, If you go quickly to Habakkuk chapter 2, leadership and worship starts with your response to God's open invitation, but the second component to worship as the missing ingredient to leadership and to spiritual life management uh, is also, and this is number two, worship is your response to God's divine revelation. So in a biblical doctrine of worship, um, and if you want to lead people to worship, then you cannot ignore the opposite spectrum either. Because you can't hear what God's saying if you're talking. So Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Okay, uh, piggybacking off of the uh, uh, earlier days that we've had together. How does Martha know when to serve and when to sit? How does she know which one to do? Well, the answer is, by when Jesus is speaking. How do you know whether to raise a joyful noise or be silent? By when God is speaking. Uh, get, get Zephariah, cha- Ze- uh, Zephariah chapter 1 and Zechariah chapter 2. Zephariah 1 and Zechariah 2. And you'll have to you know, break the bond on those sticky pages uh, in your Bible, all stuck to you know the gold's all stuck together because you ain't never been to that book before. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt the frustration trying to tell somebody something important; they won't stop talking, and so you're both talking at the same time, and your your mis- message never gets flashed before the Lord, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation. I mean, the vision is kind of like when you're in a courtroom and the the whole room is talking. Then the bailiff comes in and says, all rise. And all of a sudden there's a hush because the judge enters the room because the word he speaks there is law. Now, I know that we're tempted to hyper-divide instead of rightly divide, and, and Jesus will raise up out of his holy habitation at the second advent, but you better recognize God raised up out of his holy habitation to indwell unholy you. God is in the house. God is on the floor. So this invitation is a mixture. It is prostration, exertion, submission, shout, and shh. So there are three ingredients to this component of biblical authority as is related to leadership and worship. And this is how spiritual leadership communicates worship. If you want to lead in worship, how do you communicate it to others? How is there fellowship, partnership, and real communion? And the, and the word that Steve Shrett really loves, sharing. Just ask him to share something with you. He loves sharing. How? How do we get that from God? Well, first letter A, by reading what God says. I know it sounds simple, but think through this uh, with me for a second. What is beyond human reasoning can only be received by revelation. You are the natural man. You are stuck in bad math. Old bad math until you present your body to him, worship, 
and get that new math variable of resurrection. And that everlasting life from God brings you righteousness. It brings you right new math. God's revelation is God's declaration of what is beyond the natural man and and the natural mind. So here's our sixth point for study. The reason biblical authority is so central is because the only thing you know about God is what he verbally tells you. So you need to do what? You know, Pastor Bartell did at the very beginning, introducing Steve, you need to get your faith-based classes on. I mean, we understand that the Calvinists put on glasses that obscure what they're seeing in the Word, because they come to it with those glasses. Uh, But you think you don't need glasses? No, you need these glasses. You need faith-based classes, because you got to get... Christ's mind, and you got to reckon from that, or else your math is wrong. Uh, you know, Eve believed the devil's bad math, and it was wrong, and even though it added up, it was wrong. Uh, Steve mentioned the last session, Jesus said, whoever will save his life shall lose it, whoever loses life for my sake shall, shall find it. And that does not compute, but it's right, because it's new math which factors in the resurrection variable, just like the dying thief on the cross. Turn to Mark chapter 1. You know, I get tired of people saying, well, I thank God, and I thank this, and I thank that, and and, uh, like it or not, we do not dwell in the realm of I thank. We, We do not trade in the realm of human opinion because that is bad math. We do not function in a realm of thought which states My mama and them said, we do not operate in the realm of, well, maybe this will work with God. When we approach the Bible, we know it's not suggestions, it's divinely revealed calculations. So God has not given us proposals, Uh, he's given us principles which run his universe. And what God gives us is commands for our actions. Do them and you live. Now, fortunately, you don't have to do them from the flesh and the will and the life you were born with, but the new life that you have, the the Holy Ghost inside, and then you can live within the realm of God's will. And that approach as an appeal to authority is what got Jesus in trouble. Look at Mark 1, verse 22. When they, they, they were astonished at his doctrine, for, okay, you know, basic English Bible exegesis. They were astonished at his doctrine, colon. So after the colon, it's going to tell you why they were astonished at his doctrine. For, which means because he taught them as. So it wasn't even what he was teaching. Their problem with Jesus was he had an authority. It was KJV A. It was King James Version authority. I, you know, he were taught as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Scribes and scholars were the professors of that day, and uh, you, you got them ticked off if your exposition violated their opinion. But the only way that you know what God wants is through what God says, And you can't just make something up and say that you think God wants that. No, God is big enough to speak for himself. Therefore, 1 Timothy 4.13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Attend to. The James gang also says, be given to. Take heed to. Have regard for three things. Reading preaching, and teaching. So you have a need to read the Word. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. We have our own definitions of doctrine. But the James gang translates that word doctrine as both learning and teaching because doctrine is actually the function of correct information in instruction. 
Doctrine is the function of correct information in instruction. In instruction, why? Because then that takes your flesh out of it. Because the flesh likes to says, say, "Well, I know the doctrine." Oh, really? No, it's it's correct information in instruction. Which and and since it has to instruct and edify, and build up, well, that prevents you from misusing God's useful word. So be serious about reading the word, like Ezra. In Nehemiah 8.5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. I mean, simply reading the Bible drew attention. Why? Because of who is speaking. They knew who is speaking. It is truth from God, so simply reading the Bible has its own power. That's why the Word of God does the work, because the Word of God calls down the Holy Spirit's involvement. You say, but Alan, I didn't understand it. Well, the first thing you need to do is hear it, baby Baba. Faith comes by hearing. you got to hear it first. Read the Bible for what you do understand, not what you don't understand. If you could understand it all, you'd be God, and you're not. But there is power, there is life in reading the Word, even apart from any immediate comprehension, which is doctrine. Second, how must your leadership communicate worship? This letter be by preaching what God says. Proclamation of the revelation is declaration of what God has said. Exodus 24, verse 3 shows Moses declaring the word. Well, what about Ezra? What about Ezra? Here in Nehemiah 8, verse 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So you are not going to worship if you're not going to be present and receive the exhortation from a preacher who is speaking distinctly that that is preaching or what we call homiletics, who gives you the sense there is English Bible exegesis pointing out the colons and, and the, the prepositions and the conjunctions and the, and the pronouns and, and it makes you understand its meaning. That's interpretation. That's how to study the Bible or what we call hermeneutics. So exegete sensibly and understand the meaning so that you can exposit it correctly to others. That is how you lead in worship. And now that's not the only part of worship, because the sum total of worship is a, is a lifestyle. But God's Word in your readable language, that is the centerpiece. Why is that so important? Why must you do that here, gathering here, and not in your lazy boy recliner with built-in remote control. Well, because the proclamation is not designed just to give you information. The proclamation is to call people, other people, to an invitation. So the sermon is a summons for people to respond to God, including people that you bring to hear the preaching. So take what captures your attention, what God is speaking to you, what the Holy Spirit is saying through the passage, and put it down, write it down, get it down so you can remember it and do it and apply it so that we will do and be obedient. Why? Why? Because what's our seventh point for study? Because the purpose of preaching is to let it transform us as we are conformed to the mind of Christ. Now, I don't know why other men preach. I preach for life transformation. God's not trying to fill your head. God's trying to get you to change your life. Let His Word change your life. So sermons and discipleship must not just give information, but also give a call to respond to God with a worship sacrifice bodily. So let's get back to our main text regarding leadership in lowership, uh, regarding, especially for the men, leading in going lower. 
because this is the way of worship. Exodus chapter 24. Do you go out and live what you're putting down in writing from the services here? See, that's the test. Because God's not trying to fill notebooks. God's trying to change lives. God is trying to conform you to the image of his son, and the word of God will do it always because of the Bible's authority, because of biblical authority. So if the word of God carries the authority of God in your life, it will do it because God can't fail. So the final way your leadership communicates worship, and this is letter C, is by responding to what God says in life. Exodus 24, verse 3, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said will we do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. Because you can't come just once, you can't hear it just once, you can't read it just once. You need it not just inspired, which is a speaking thing, an audible thing, but you need it inscripturated, which is a visual thing. So Moses told him what the Lord said, and then what the Lord said about what he said, and, and so the words of the Lord were in chapter 20. Uh, Moses wrote them in a book. The judgments were in chapters 21 to 23, and they're also put in the book of, of verse 7. Worship is always interactive because worship is responding to what you are hearing from God with a bodily sacrifice to Him. So if your reading is not worship and you do not worship by your reading, then both are dysfunctional. Israel says we will put His words before us and not anything before His words. And Revelation always demands you respond to God after you hear from God because the correct biblical definition of doctrine is as a function of learning from what is taught. And if you want to grow in your faith, that's the fastest way to do it. But the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, as, as Matthew 26, 41 shows us. Therefore, look at verse 4, therefore... Back in Exodus 24, verse 4, Therefore, and Moses rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and twelve pillars uh, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. So an altar was built because worship is predicated on a blood sacrifice. And according to Hebrews 9, 19, this book that he's carrying there, as well as the people, are now sprinkled with the blood of that sacrifice because it was a testament and something had to die to bring it into force. So, verse 7, Moses took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. That is the divine transaction, and the Bible record is your receipt. So what is going to change after this week because you heard the voice of God? Because you, in effect, studied worship by studying under what we were teaching and you were learning it. If you cannot answer that question, you have a religion. You, you may have a ceremony, but you didn't respond to a sermon. And yet, this is the easiest way to get God involved in your life. I mean, this is the most effective way to inject God into your situation because God always responds to the statement, we will do, not we will hear, we will write down, but we will be obedient. There are four components, complete components to worship. You must respond to his invitation to come here. That was number one. You must submit to the revelation of his words. That was number two. But third, there must be a personal presentation of yourself to serve. So number three, worship is presenting yourself to God in front of others. Verse five, and he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. What did you offer God today? What did you offer God when you got up? He is a great king. You can't come into the presence of a great king without a great present. 
So when you and I come before God, we've got to bring an offering. We come with praise offering, we come with a thank offering, but we also, in church anyways, take up a money offering. And many times, at least my church probably here as well, we have a sign-up sheet so you can serve somewhere. Why is there always an offering every time we worship? Well, because God wants you to show that you know how all you have and all you are is His. And when you get down the New Testament definition of holiness and why every believer is a saint, as well as becoming a saint, you are a saint, it is because you cannot get saved and not belong to God for His purpose in eternity. So your life must manifest ministry or you're unholy. Moses sends young men out to fetch an offering, which is a real offering, cheerfully given, the, not the leftovers, the first fruits, the best of what the people had. And it said, God, you are a great God for meeting our needs like this, and I put none of that before your word. I worship, verse 6, and Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. So one final thing to complete the way of worship, because this is how uh, you can be the leader that you should be in spiritual life management. Uh, That's number four. Worship is your consecration to obedience and service. And these four biblical goals of worship flow right out of the four biblical goals of discipleship. Invitation. Come worship Him. That's relationship. Declaration. See what he says. That's fellowship. Presentation. Give him what he deserves. That's lordship. And consecration. Respond with your service. That is partnership. Verse 8, And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Not your words. Talk as cheap. All his words, these words that I not only heard and then stated to you, but wrote down and inscripturated as your Bible. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. God consecrated them to the covenant by the blood. So the blood creates a mechanism whereby unclean sinful humans can have fellowship with a holy God, and that mechanism is sacrifice. Half the blood goes on the altar. Half the blood went on the people. Why? Because fellowship with God comes by one blood. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there's, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. When we, when we gather as the church around the Lord's Supper, it is all about that one blood. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. You ought to show up ready for worship just because of Jesus. I mean, Jesus reached up and caught God with one hand. He retched down and took you in the other hand and he lifted you and God together in reconciliation. Jesus is my life. Jesus is my purpose. Because he died, I live. I've been made a son of God and joint heir with Jesus. So I can worship because he was my sacrifice. I can pray because he is my intercessor. I can be heard because he is my advocate. I can, be, I can go free because he's my judge. And I can, I can be satisfied because he's my bridegroom. Oh, the name of Jesus is so sweet. I love its music to repeat. It makes my joys full and complete the precious The precious, the precious name of Jesus. Here in Exodus 24, verse 9 says, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hands. 
also they saw God and did eat and drink. No Jew can explain that verse apart from the Trinity and Jesus Christ. And it's only when they got the components of worship right did they see God. Now, you know, I don't want your money. I, I want you to see God. I don't want a bigger attendance. I want you to see God. Well, we have people looking for God who don't want to worship right. Lord, I didn't see you last week. Well, did you worship last week? Were you worshiping in whatever it was you went through that you thought you weren't seeing him? Maybe you need to put on your faith-based glasses. Moses and the elders saw God when they worshiped. And you know what? Moses and his elders, they did not see simple God. Verse 10 says they saw sapphire God. They saw north star throne glory God. On that mountain, in his presence, so if you want to see God, worship and if you want to see a continuous glory, like verse 10 says, as it were, the body of heaven, which means clear from horizon to horizon, then be involved in continuous worship. That is what spiritual leaders need. So make yourself a life of worship. Worship is the key to your leadership I hope you see today how that is so. Consecrate yourself to him and, and follow his word because that is worship. When you think about how much mercy he has shown you, when you realize how much mercy he still has reserved, it is only reasonable for you to offer your body and give him control. And it's also the only way you become holy. What do you give somebody who has everything? A toothbrush? You know, I think the people on the commercials must have everything. That's why they invent a new kind of toothbrush. But God has everything. So the only thing you can give him or withhold from him is your worship. It's your worship. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Did you know that God's having a hard time finding somebody? I mean, according to what Jesus said, God is seeking. I mean, can you believe it, that your finite soul can hinder the infinite God? You know, I have no way to explain that except to say that the most humble being in the universe is God. So God's still looking for worshipers today. How many worshipers are here? Worship is where you come before the Father, yielded to the Spirit, and follow the Word. And I'm not going to ask you to come up here to the altar and come up here up front. I mean, if you want to, if, you, if that helps you, let, just go ahead and consider the front steps of this platform and altar, and, and you can go ahead and do that. But the three things I'm going to ask as, as we close this week, this morning sessions this week, three things I'm going to ask you to do right now. I'm going to ask on God's behalf. This is not my invitation. This is His. Whether you sit there in your seat or whether you come here to the front, place yourself before the Father, yielded to the Spirit, and going out of here saying, just like they said to Moses, I will follow your word. I mean, I have all the advantages they never got. I've got an indwelling Holy Ghost so I can follow your word. I've, uh, I'm crucified in Christ, and so the, the flesh is actually crucified. I don't have to go back there to that so, so I can follow your word. Jesus shed his blood to be the only sacrifice that God will accept in your place. 
If you're here and you've never given yourself to him, that has to be your first act of worship. So, Father, I thank you again. I thank you for the opportunity to preach and teach. I thank you for the challenge of this particular topic, of the subject of worship, because it makes us think. It makes us investigate. It, it makes us see what the Bible actually says, which is, as a matter of fact, not what everybody else is saying about worship. I mean, every year we come to this conference, and it's a certain conference on the Bible, and, and every year... We're not hearing the same old, same old. We're not hearing the things that are typically said. We're not hearing the things that go on, you know, the same things we would hear if we tuned into somebody else. I mean, every year, out of your word, it's a fountain. It's a fountain of life to us. It's, it's fresh insight. It is teaching us so that we can learn. And learning means we go out changed. And that change means we can build up others. God, call us to that same leadership. Through our own worship of you, we ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.